Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. All right, guys, just a few days ago on social media, my name came up. It comes up a lot, it seems, in the audiences that I'm tied to in respect to everything to do with running mechanics. And the question came up. It's come up many, many times before. And I think I've even addressed this once before. But uh, I've decided that rather than trying to get into this tirade on social media, typing forever and ever and ever my position on this, I thought the simplest approach would be to go right ahead and do a podcast that covers running shoe selection. To get this all worked out, I've asked my wing gal, <laughs> Zoe Zerspantishiflikski, to help me with this. And I know that in her own accord, she has some questions that she's curious to have answers for in regard to her shoe selection. So Zoe, take it away. I love that you added ski at the end of my last name. Uh, they just keep getting better. Well, yeah, I mean, as you know, I'm getting back into running. And the shoes that I showed up at your house in, you're like, what the hell are those? So um, I'm looking for new running shoes. But my question for you, you know, it's like, well, what one should I get? What should I be looking for? What do I need? So I think this is going to be a great podcast because you're going to help me out. And maybe you can help some other people out, too. Well, I certainly hope so. If nothing else, what I hope to do is at least cause people to think a little outside the box and not be so controlled by marketing hype. Because I think mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's really where all the confusion comes from. Mm -hmm. Well, do you want me to just go ahead and ask my first question? Why don't you do that? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, besides tread, what should you be looking for in a shoe that's made for just road running compared to trail running? All right. That's a good question. And the answer. <laughs> now, realize, too, I should preface all these statements by saying this is my opinion. And you could take what I say with a grain of salt. Maybe if you question what I say, it will cause you to think, research, and maybe draw your own conclusions in respect to what you should or should not be doing. But you got to remember, this is my day job. This is not something that I'm just going to have a conversation with over a beer. It's what I do. I mean, I'm looking at people's feet. I'm actually really weird. I mean, people would think that, gosh, the guy's kind of got a foot fetish, you know. And to some degree, I think I do. I, I think that, uh, number one, I have pretty feet. And anyone that's seen me barefoot knows this. You do have you do have pretty feet. For an old man? Come on. You do you do, yeah. <laughs> it's it's because I'm conscious of them. You you have to keep in mind that your feet are your first interface with the earth. Everything that happens to you, everything you do, short of lying in bed, is affected by the interface between your feet and the ground. Having said that, keep in mind what's really important is that the feet have an opportunity to communicate with your central nervous system in such a way that your central nervous system will make decisions about what's supposed to happen with the body as you move through space. I set this up nicely, I think, because you're asking, what should I look for in a running shoe that would be designed for road versus trail? Well, first of all, there should not be much difference whatsoever in the design of the shoe, whether you be running on pavement or whether you're running on trail. The biggest difference should be if you need a little bit of traction beneath the foot and probably a little bit more protection because the surfaces that are natural, that undulate, that have rocks, you know, what have you, you need a little bit more protection. You probably need 
the bottom of the shoe to be a little bit more protective, even a little bit more rigid than is necessary when you're on, say, pavement or concrete. But you don't want to change the angle of approach. So in other words, you don't want the heel to be higher than the forefoot. You don't want the stack height, which is the total height off the ground, to be thicker, thinking that the cushion is going to encourage an improvement in your ride on these natural surfaces versus the road, or even vice versa for that matter. So you just want the shoe design to be commonly consistent. And I know people make a big mistake in this regard. They'll, what they'll do, and, and I've talked about it many times, but what they'll do is they'll think that they need a little bit more shoe when they're on concrete, a little less shoe when they're on natural surfaces, or maybe even vice versa. It's kind of an opinionated thing. But at the end of the day, when you start changing the way your foot is going to interface with the ground, you start to confuse these messages that you're sending to your central nervous system, and you could set yourself up for injuries. So the first thing I would suggest is that you don't have much difference between the two designs other than traction or a little bit more rigidity. That's it. Okay. So pretty, yeah, pretty much just it's the same shoe, just with a little better tread. That's exactly right. And, and you know what's really interesting about this? People are always expecting me to tell them what shoe brand to go for. And I'm honestly very much a mercenary when it comes to shoe design. I don't really care who made the shoe. Now, and I know people are thinking, yeah, yeah, but you hate Hoka. Yep. <laughs> All right. And I mean, I get it. I've said this. And I, you know, I think that, by the way, I told you, I probably said it before. They're just down the road from me. The uh, Decker Outdoor headquarters is within a mile from my house. So they could easily send an assassin over here to try to take me out. <laughs> but realize that the, the design of Hoka, when it first came into play, the whole concept of the shoe was to provide this big mattress beneath the foot. And I'm looking for it right now because I have it. I did this, I did this thing, I did this, this search to look at the evolution of running shoes. It's really pretty fascinating, by the way. Looking at just over the course of years from like 1920, right on up till current day, just the, the changes in the design work between the shoes was really pretty fascinating. Uh, the reason I bring it up now is because it was in 2009 that Hoka came to light and released the first or I guess the term is maximally cushioned shoe. And incidentally, one of my clients, one of my clients back in the day, works for Decker in the research department. I don't know how we got onto the subject, but he contacted me and said, look, I've been running in Hoka's and just did the, you know, the uh, Grand Canyon thing, rim to rim. Oh, these things are amazing. You got to, you know, la, 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 and try, you know, whatever. And so he sent me a pair. And being open-minded, I thought, you know, what the heck. And he even prefaced it by saying, Richard, I know you. You know, I know how you roll and whatever. But trust me, you've got to try these things. So I put them on, got out my front door. And you know where I live. I'm like on a cul-de-sac. So my street is probably 100 yards long. I got to the corner of the cul-de-sac, spun around, came back home, took them off, and told my wife to get rid of them, and she sold them on eBay. I'm gonna tell you right now, when I got home, I was almost scared because it was so confusing for my feet to be in that big mattress of a shoe. And I know we kind of got off topic here, but the, the point I want, we're gonna, we're gonna circle back to this, but, but, yeah. Yeah, but the, the point I was getting at is that and we, we talked about this earlier on before we got on the, the podcast, that Hoka has just released a new running flat, which incidentally, based on what I've seen, looks like a pretty damn nice shoe. And what I'm going to say is that, and you asked me, would, would I recommend that shoe to someone? And I said, absolutely, yes. If, 
if it passed the muster with me, if I, you know, had the shoe in my hand and I looked at it and every, everything about the shoe is as it apparent and, and it, it passed the, you know, the, the smell test, so to speak, I would, <laughs> I would absolutely recommend that shoe to people because it's a low profile shoe. It's got a nice broad, we're already going to get to the design work, huh? but uh, <laughs> it is a nice broad toe box. It doesn't have that mattress beneath it. And barring a couple other things that I'd like to look at, I'd say, yeah, I would absolutely recommend that. As a matter of fact, I would probably recommend it to most people. So it isn't about Hoka. It's about what they threw at us in the beginning. It was that curve ball that they tossed at us when we were just coming off this minimalist movement that kind of threw me into this tailspin. So anyway, <laughs> let, let's go Let's go on to other questions, okay? All right, all right. Well, yeah, we'll kind of loop back in with Hoka. I know how much you love them. Um, <laughs> but okay, so another question that I have is, so what exactly does arch support mean? Or what does it do? And then how can besides going to go see someone, how can you tell if you have a high arch? Well, that's an interesting question. Because first of all, whether you have a high arch or not, has little to do with the way you run. Interesting. Yeah. And I've had people come to me that are flat footed and they assume because they were flat footed that they needed to live in orthotics or such and such and that they were incapable of conducting themselves as other people might. And I can tell you through experience. Now, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about having experienced gait correction with people that have flat feet that were capable of running well beyond what they expected they would and surprised that they could do it. Which, by the way, I'm going to get ahead of myself again. And, <laughs> and since you brought it up about the arch, a shoe with a pronounced arch is trying to do is provide you with arch support and assuming that that is something that you need to have happen. So what does arch support really mean? It means it's trying to keep you from having excessive pronation, where for those that don't understand what that is, is if your ankles drop inward and then you're really losing stability at the ankle. And this can set you up for all sorts of problems. So a weak arch doesn't become stronger if you put a support beneath it. What you're doing is you're supplementing the natural function of the foot. The answer is you need to correct the weakness in the foot. We are going to talk about this a lot, but since we're kind of on the subject of the arch, I want to talk about orthotics. Mm -hmm. And in that vein, I want to talk about supplemental shoe inserts, where I know that you've had it happen. Everybody listening right now that bought a pair of running shoes from a running shoe shop has had somebody try to supersize them where they say, yeah, these are the shoes for you, but you're going to want to get some of these super feet or some other type of insole supplemental to the purchase. Have you ever had or that? The, I, I've had that or the ones where they put you on this little thing and they make customized, you know, yeah. orthotics for you, but they're an additional 70 whatever dollars on top of your running shoe price. Yeah, the mood ring. You're, the, mm -hmm. You stand in the, either that or the treadmill. Mm-hmm, yep. Now, now, all of these things that they're doing are opportunities for them to either cinch the deal, make the sale, or upsell. Mm-hmm. They're in the business of selling. You have to realize that when you go into a running shoe shop, they are in the business of selling shoes. And whatever they can do to improve their profit, they are going to do. Realize that there was a time, you know, the, the original natural running clinic, my place, the lab, before I worked from the secret lab, we actually sold shoes in the front of our store. We did a terrible job, incidentally, because I'm so, <laughs> I'm so hard headed. There was only like three different shoes that I liked. So that's the only shoes I would sell. <laughs> it was pretty funny because people would come in and go, well, where's all your shoes? So, well, we've decided to separate the wheat from the chafe. Because there's a bunch of crap that they stick on a board in a running shoe shop that you should not ever, ever put on your feet and run with. And I've just basically 
narrowed your focus to the things <laughs> that I think you should be looking at. And so clearly in the retail world, I was a complete failure for that reason. So getting back to the orthotics, <laughs> getting back to the orthotics and the insoles, I've already invoked the term super feet, so I'm going to have to just go ahead and bury them now. All right. So the rep walks into my shop one day and he's looking at it. He's oh, great. Virgin territory. He's like a shoe shop. You know, I'm going to sell this guy insoles. And he started giving me this whole rant about all the extra money that I'd make by selling insoles. And uh, I'm looking at the insoles. I said, did you notice the sign on the front of the building that says natural running? not artificially supplemented running. <laughs> I said, would you show? And he had this like, this little, uh, I don't know. It's like, uh, like he had this like metal ring that had all these different insoles hanging on this ring. Try to imagine. It's like paint chips, you know, on a, <laughs> and all these different densities and for various things that these insoles are supposed to do for you. And I said, so every bit of this that you're showing me has nothing to do with someone that would run naturally off their forefoot. And he looked at me with this dumbfounded expression on his face. And he didn't really have an answer for me. And he just turned around and left. And that was the end of that conversation. But let me, let me bring to light what I think is interesting. First of all, there's a fellow by the name of Dr. Bino Nig. And he is basically the leading authority in running shoe construction in the world and has been for close to 40 years now. And Dr. Nig is at the University of Calgary, I believe he is now. And I believe, uh, I said believe because I don't want to go back and look at the research to make sure I'm absolutely correct about it because I'm, I'm pretty confident that he is like <laughs> one of the principal orchestrators of the original design of an orthotic. And what's really interesting about it is that he comes back to say, and I'm going to read this. He said, there is no scientific-based research or evidence to support the use of orthotics to prevent or treat injuries. He said that he found there was no way to predict the effect of a given orthotic. He said, consider, for example, that an insert that pushes the foot away from a pronated position, so that's that arch you're talking about, mm -hmm. or rotated excessively outward, that's supination, you might think it would have the same effect for everyone who pronates or supinates, but it does not. One person might respond by increasing the stress on the outside of the foot, another on the inside of the foot, and another might not respond at all unconsciously correcting the orthotics corrections. So in other words, there's, they have no way of effectively prescribing an orthotic because different people respond to different stimuluses based on what they're doing with their foot. And See, I go ahead. Oh, I was say, I wish I would have known all of this. I had to sit out my entire, pretty much my entire senior year of my basketball season because I had the worst case of shin splints and everyone kept saying, all you got to do is just get these inserts and they're going to fix it. And I put those in and my feet were in so much pain. I had to pretty much just sit out the entire season and I like had, I just didn't even know what to do. Like I put all of my faith in these inserts that everyone told me to wear because they were going to magically take away my shin splints and that did not happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, if you really look at it, it's like this guy, again, he's like the world's renowned authority on this type of thing. And we're looking at the research. I'm sitting here. He's, here he goes on to say, he says, uh, he said that based on what I just told you, because that's the first problem you run into. Because if you do something to a shoe different, people react differently. The next problem is that there may be little agreement among orthotic makers about what sort of insert to, to prescribe. So you may be buying your product from XYZ manufacturer and their mm -hmm. mindset is you have to go in this particular direction to solve this particular problem. And they could be absolutely incorrect with that, that assumption. And then you may have someone that has a, a, an opposing view 
and they could be wrong as well. And he went on to talk about the research they did where they took uh, like five talented distant runners and they took five certified orthotic makers, each making a different type of correction for the pronation. And then he had these athletes run 10 kilometers. And he said that they came away where they liked two of the orthotics of the five and they actually ran faster with them than the other three. But the construction of the two he liked was completely different. So, mm -hmm. so a guy says, oh, I like this one. I like this one too. And there were completely opposing responses that they were getting from the orthotic. So they really almost didn't even know what was working or not working. And he says that through the series of studies, what they actually do is they turn out to have little effect on kinematics. So listen to what I'm saying here. The orthotics had little effect on kinematics, which is the actual movement of the skeleton during a run. But they could have large effect on muscles and joints, often making muscles work as much as 50% harder for the same movement and increasing stress on joints by a similar amount. So he's suggesting that the orthotics can actually cause you to have to work 50% harder and put 50% more stress on the joints and the musculature that surround the foot. Gotcha. And you may have, like in your case, I would almost venture to say that in your case, by putting that in and causing your foot, forcing your foot to do something that it is not natural for it to do is what invoked all this extra stress and pain you were experiencing. Mm -hmm. Now, the shin splints that you were experiencing were not a result of the type of shoe, I would, I would venture to say. It probably had to do with the way you were, you were training or running. Yeah, yeah. And it could have been overuse. It could have been you just doing the wrong thing too often. And that was causing problems for you. Mm-hmm. And everyone, you know, shin splints are so common in basketball. No one really wants to blame the running form. They want to blame either your arch or your shoe that you're wearing. Oh, yeah. And that's the go-to thing. And, and you listen to the conversations people have when they experience these lower extremity issues. They, they, the first fix that they go for is they think they need to get a new pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And then they go to XYZ running shoe shop. And the young idiot at the counter puts him on the mood ring treadmill. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, you need the stability shoe or you need the motion control shoe or you need more cushion in your shoe. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, what they were trained to do, and I, I know I'm going to be assassinated at the end of this conversation. We're gonna, somebody's going to come in here and shoot me because I'm ruining their business. But at the end of the day, what they're going to do is they're going to lead you to a shoe. So we just change the narrative. Instead of deciding if you should buy a shoe, we changed it to which shoe should you purchase. Mm -hmm. So we just deadlocked your decision in respect to what to do. And they led you down this path by showing you that uh, this heat-seeking treadmill <laughs> is showing that your, your stress pattern is on one part of the foot as opposed to the other, and then suggested that the solution to that problem would be this particular shoe. So, which brings me to the holy grail of the conversation, which is, in my opinion, if you are looking for a shoe to take the responsibility of providing you stability, motion control, or impact absorption, you're already confused. These are the responsibilities of your foot. And to suggest that any particular brand of shoe is going to be principally responsible for this business, and you're hoping that be the case, you're being irresponsible. What you really need to do is identify that the way you're moving is corrupt, and that's why you're having problems because that is why you're having problems. And, mm -hmm. you, and you need to set about making those corrections so that you can run well. How are we doing now? 
Yeah, good. Am I am I heating up here? I can I can almost I can sense it a little bit. <laughs> I can feel the smoke coming off my head right now. I'm like I could feel it. Uh, it's nutty. I mean, you got to realize again, this is my day job, and you're talking about shin splints. I can mm-hmm. recall I can recall a particular individual, and this is probably um, uh, go back. It's probably about 2008. So we're talking about 10 years ago. Okay. Ten years ago, a guy shows up in my my shop, and he is on fire with shin splints, and he was a triathlete, and he was just getting ready to do a race. I think he was about two weeks out from doing a half Ironman distance triathlon, and he had the worst case of shin splints, and he came in to see me, and I mean literally, if I would have flicked his his tibia with my, you know, my finger. I, he would jump right through the ceiling. That's how much, mm-hmm. how tender he was and how much pain he was in. Got him on the treadmill. In about five seconds, I could see what was going wrong. And what I found was he was in a really radical dorsiflex movement when he was making contact with his heel as he ran. So for people that don't understand what I just said, his toes were pointing skyward. He was overstriding and landing hard on his heels. Now, in that particular scenario, given the nature of the way his joints were aligning right up into the hip, he was taking on a lot of vibration and stress in the lower compartment of his leg. So mm-hmm. the, the tibia and the fibula were basically bouncing off each other with vibration. And in the course of that repetitive trauma, he's basically ripping the muscles away from the bone. And... All we had to do was adjust the way he was moving. And in a matter of five minutes, running off of his forefoot effectively, the pain completely diminished. He was able to run for me well, pain-free, almost instantaneously, just by changing the way he moves. Now, this is not like, wow, Richard pulled this off. Just a little adjustment in the way he was moving made all the difference in the world. Now. Mm-hmm. Had he gone into a regular running shoe shop, someone would have approached him and and put him on the mood ring treadmill, and they would have gave him something that was going to cushion the impact so that it would minimize the amount of stress he was having in the lower compartment of his legs. So do you think that would have worked? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) How wrong you are. (laughs) So we circle back to Hoka. Mm-hmm. And again, I, when I say Hoka, I almost now have to adjust my thinking because now they're going to introduce some shoes that are not nearly as radical as they had when they first introduced the product. Well, it's not just Hoka's. Like I've seen some ultra shoes that have a lot of cushioning on them as well. Well, it's a marketing decision, you understand. Now, by the way, I told you that I had like three shoes on my wall. Mm-hmm. Ultra was one of them. Now, Ultra, when they first came out of the box, when they first became this boutique running shoe phenomenon, their shoes had a nice broad toe box. The outer sole, which is the bottom of the shoe, was relatively firm, and it was zero drop. And you asked the question, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but zero drop suggests that the heel is no higher or more pronounced than the forefoot of the shoe. So you're basically in a flat-soled shoe. And it was everything I was looking for in a shoe. And quite frankly, I used to make jokes about it because it was so weird looking compared to everybody else's shoe at the time. I used to call it the Elmer Fudd shoe (laughs) because the front of the shoe was so broad it was so weird looking. I mean, I almost didn't, I didn't want to wear them because they looked so weird. But I come to appreciate over time that my toes really loved having that extra room in the, in the toe box. But anyway, that was one of the extra shoes. Now, so here's what happens. And I don't know this for, for sure, but I'm highly suspicious of the intent. So Hoka comes on the scene And they were like the polar opposite of what everybody was doing at the given time. Everybody that just got through drinking the Kool-Aid that Chris McDougall was selling in Born to Run was buying those Vibram five-finger shoes. 
socks, whatever boat shoes is what they are really. <laughs> That's what they are. They were they were actually boat shoes designed for like if you're on a sailboat or something so you don't fall on your butt when you're on on the deck. Yeah. Right? So everybody was getting into those little boat shoes, the little five fingers because Chris McDougal created a really strong argument for why the Taramahara Indians were capable of, you know, being these amazing runners and essentially going up and down the Copper Canyons on their minimal sandals or barefoot and made the argument that the running shoe industry has been pitching us a curveball. And, you know, he was right. He was absolutely right about that. And so people started chasing that down. And then um, the boat shoe company, like one day they woke up and looked at their stock and realized that they were selling the crap out of these boat shoes for, for no good reason other than people got excited about Chris McDougall's book. And so the shoe industry started chasing that down. And then you started seeing these minimal shoes start showing up. And Ultra was one of those with pretty good intent where they they looked at it and said, well, you need to protect your foot. So you need a little more something underneath your foot. But you need your toe box to be nice and splayed out so your, your toes can function. And so they basically revolutionized the design of a running shoe. And then Hoka comes along and puts this big moken pad, this mattress underneath the shoe, maintains the broad toe box, keeps a zero drop, but causes you to feel like you're at the disco because your, your feet are so far off the ground. And because it was so revolutionary and so new, their stock went through the roof. So now the guys that were closer to the ground are starting to realize that they're losing market share so they start introducing shoes that have more cushion beneath them to try to get on that that gravy train and i could see the stockholders looking at the the company and saying hey how come you guys don't have this thing like hoka's got right because mm -hmm. they want to make some money too because they're in the business of what they want to make money that's why they also sell these insoles right mm -hmm. so so next thing you know Altra's jumped on the bandwagon. Guess what happens with Richard? He stops selling Altra's. <laughs> I, I dumped him. I, I dumped him. And, you know, I don't sell supplements and I don't sell weird shoes. I just won't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it. But so the, the point of the matter is, is through this evolution is we've come to learn a lot. We've learned so much more about the way we should be moving. And what's really entertaining about the whole thing, and realize the show that people are listening to right now is called the Natural Running Network. And that evolution for me came from the revelation that we had been doing it wrong for so long that we really, really needed to make some corrections. And it did not have to do with the type of shoes we were wearing. It had to do with the way we move. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me what type of shoe should they purchase, it's a tough thing for me to address because it isn't a particular brand. It really isn't a particular brand. And every time I get angry with a shoe manufacturer, I don't know whether it's because they found out, <laughs> <laughs> but they changed their ways. I'm sure it's not going to do with me. But now I see Ultra is circling back. They're starting to lean closer to the type of shoe that we would recommend. Hoka is starting to drop down. And they're probably thinking, why would we not have all of these different options in our quiver? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, that's what I was thinking. Why not give the people options? Well, you, you know, I, I'm all about giving people options. But I'm also about giving people education. And the, the problem with all of this, by the way, is that the education is the tougher sell. Taking the time to explain to people what they should be doing takes too long when you're trying to sell something. And I'll tell you what, I think that's probably one of the principal problems we have in this country. Now I'm just getting crazy. <laughs> but I used to make jokes about this. My natural running network place 
Uh, it was called DHP Elite Training. Uh, I'll send you a picture of the place. It was a beautiful performance lab. It was beautiful. It had bamboo floors, and it was really a sweet place. People used to walk in and go, wow, it's going to cost me a lot of money in here because it just had that vibe. It was just a cool place, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a quarter of a mile from my, my place was In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> in and out Bur- Burger's biggest problem was where are they going to park all the cars? Have you ever noticed, you, you're in Camry, have you ever noticed the parking lot at In-N-Out Burger? Yeah, they like built another lot yeah. behind the original one. <laughs> They're gonna have to start shuttling people into this to get their burgers. I mean, and they... then what? Well, also, it blocks the freeway on ramp too. It's kind of in a really bad location. <laughs> yeah, and so what happens is like people go there, and one conclusion is, "Wow, tastes good, cheap." <laughs> okay, I'm in. Right. It doesn't require much of an education there. I mean, someone probably sit you down and tell you all the reasons why that food isn't the best selection for you. But nobody wants to hear that, right? So No, it t- it's it's delicious. Like I love In-N-Out. Yeah. Yeah, so my place, right, has got like five parking places and there was no wrestling for parking at my place. Everybody was like, "Okay, one dude shows up to get the little thing done and we dealt with him and then he went on his merry way and then another guy would show up." But there was no like wrestling to get in there to get the good stuff, right? They were just like, "Eh, because in my place, it slowed you down. It required you to think. It required you to make an educated decision. And nobody wants to go down that road. And if you're in the business of selling, you want to make it happen. You don't want to. You don't want to go through it. But I'll, I'll take it a step further. You know what? A lot of people don't know about me is I'm also a bike fitter. Because my principal business for the longest time was dealing with triathletes, and I found just like within running mechanics that being on the bike incorrectly is a serious energy burn. You just waste so much energy and you cause problems to the joints and what have you. Just like in running, so I found it really important to learn how to effectively set up a bike fit for a cyclist. But it's painstaking work, right? And uh, so I started thinking, wow, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I can get some referral from bike shops. They'll send guys to me that I'll do bike fits after they purchase a bike or maybe even arrange some kind of a coupon situation where you spend X amount of money on a bike, you get a free bike fit with me, which they paid me for. Mm-hmm. And I found that the bike shops were not interested in doing bike fits because it took too long. So you take a salesman off the floor and he spends two and a half hours, if he does it right, setting up someone on a bike. Meanwhile, he could have sold three or four bikes, which was far and away more profitable than wasting his time helping someone get on the bike properly. And so this is the dilemma that we face, is that marketing is driving. Sales are what's driving decisions. And we are prey to that mindset. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when someone is looking for a running shoe, there are some things that they need to think about. Number one, I'll say it again, there's no scientific evidence to date that can show us, prove to us, that any particular accoutrement to a running shoe is going to provide greater stability, greater motion control, or protect you from impact. That is the responsibility of the body and the foot. If you want to get rid of all these ailments that you're facing when you run, you need to learn to run properly. That is your saving grace right there. You need to fix the way you run. And I've done this. It's what I do every day. I talk about it. I research it. And I physically take people through my lab or visit them around the country and help them to get to a better place. And they will commonly ask me what kind of shoe they should wear. And I really don't know what to tell them other than I don't want your toes to be confined. 
You know, try to think about, I was trying to come up with an analogy earlier today while I was thinking about this show. Take your fingers, okay? Hold your hands up in front of your face and squeeze your fingers together. Now try to imagine spending the entire day with your fingers trapped like that. And then try to cause your hand to function properly. The first thing that happens if you try to bend your fingers and try to make a fist is your fingers want to separate. Right? Because this is, mm -hmm. the, this is the nature of your appendages. They are designed to operate independent. And they're, they're like little feelers. They're trying to make their way in space. And in your feet, this is exactly what your toes want to do. They want to splay out. They want to have that room. And when they have that liberty to move, then the functionality of the natural suspension of the foot becomes more effective. Well, and I can agree with that just because the times that I've seen you and I was wearing my shoes, I mean, my feet and my hip would kind of bug me after. But the one time that you put me on the treadmill and you had me in just socks, my feet felt amazing and I had zero pain in my hip just because my feet weren't confined in those shoes that were really narrow because I thought I had narrow feet. And because you looked at my feet, you're like, no, you do not have narrow feet. Your feet are wide. And I did not know that. Well, I think that there are people that have what they believe to be narrow feet that would end up not being so narrow given the opportunity to allow the foot to grow. I was a size 12 for the better part of my adult life until I got into a broader toe box running shoe. I am now a size 13. My wife's feet actually grew a bit too. Now, they're not still growing, mind you, but my, just my foot opening up and my foot acting natural, I actually changed the way my foot looks. And it actually functions better. And, and for those that have never met me, I am not this skinny, svelte, you know, 30-odd-year-old ultra-marathoner. I'm a 65-year-old, greasy old man that... <laughs> I don't, I, when I go out and run, it's not pretty because everything else about me is not working that well. But I don't ever have issues with my knees. I don't ever have issues at my hip. I don't have calf or shin pain. And I don't have any issues with my feet. I get tired. I'll get sore, muscular sore, because I'm just not in the shape I used to be in. But at the end of the day, I'm not experiencing any problems with the way I'm moving. And I, honestly, I'm not moving perfectly by any stretch because I'm just, like I said, I'm old and greasy. I'm not, the, I'm not that perfect, svelte individual that maybe once was. And it, interestingly enough, when I was young and athletic and, and getting it done, I was constantly hurting myself because I did not know that the things I was doing, the way I was doing what I was doing, was causing me the grief I was experiencing. And I was like much of the people that are listening to this right now. I would go out and think, well, it's time to get a new pair of shoes because my shins are starting to bother me. Well, it's time to get another pair of shoes because my knee's starting to bother me. Where, in fact, what was going on is I was running like crap, and I didn't know it. I just ran the way I always ran, and I pushed myself harder because I was trying to go faster and pushing myself harder, running like crap, just exacerbated the situation and ultimately I get into trouble with it. I wish I knew then what I know now. That's all I can tell you. So at the end of the day, we're talking about the, the things that need to have happen in your shoe. And the principal things that I believe need to have happen is you need to allow your toes freedom. And the first sensation people have when they put their foot into a shoe that has a broad toe box is they feel like they have too much room between their toes. And it's because they're so used to being confined that they don't realize that their toes actually appreciate that extra space. The other thing that people need to get used to is if they were running in a shoe with a pronounced heel, and these heels are measured in millimeters, okay? So you might, and you, by the way, if you're researching shoes online, you could look at it. The data usually is there. If you look in the details, it'll say what the stack height is, which is how far off the ground the shoe has put you. It'll talk about the drop, which is the distance height-wise from the back of the shoe to the front of the shoe. 
So like a 11 millimeter drop, for example, suggests that the heel is 11 millimeters high. And it may even indicate what the forefoot is. But the differential between the fore and aft of the shoe has to do with that drop. And what you don't want to have happen is to have a really tall drop. So I've seen shoes as much as 15, 16 millimeters high and the forefoot be two or three millimeters high. So what that does when your heel is elevated that way is it throws off your center of balance. Your balance point now is probably about four feet, three and a half feet ahead of you. So that causes you to naturally fall to your balance point, which causes you to overstrike. It also throws off your postural alignment. So you'll tend to hyperextend your low back. So people that tend to have those high elevations in the back of their shoe will tend to have hyperextended back and generally experience back pain when they run because they're also throwing that load from their heel directly up into their spine. So you want to start with a neutral format. Now, given that a lot of people have spent so much time on heels, that will have a tendency to shorten their calf muscles up a bit. That'll have a tendency to shorten their Achilles as well. So if you drop them too radically too soon and they continue to put in the volume that they were accustomed to putting in, they're subject to injure themselves because they're stretching that heel cord and they're putting a lot more stress there than they're accustomed to putting there. Mm -hmm. and, and or they'll get onto their forefoot too radically and in the course of doing that and not allowing their heel to touch the earth, they're harboring a tremendous amount of stress in the calf and Achilles and that will lead to injury as well. So again, it wasn't a function of the heel being there or not being there. It was the mechanical deficiency in the way they were moving that caused them to injure themselves. Gotcha. And well, that makes sense too, because me trying to learn to run more on my forefoot, because I used to be a heel striker, I do feel different pains in my calves just because I haven't been running that way. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me as to why you'd be feeling pain in certain areas after you've gone from such a high heel to a zero drop. Yeah. And you know what? The, at the, the other end of it really is that when people start making the mistakes, then they start thinking about all the money they spend on patching these leaks, right? So mm -hmm. they'll tell you, for example, that you have uh, you got IT band syndrome because of the way you're landing. And so you buy a foam roller. Mm -hmm. and or you end up spending a fortune over time, rock tape and such. Or you're having to see a chiropractor, or you're having to see a masseuse, or whatever the treatments are that you're going through to try to abate these problems temporarily, where in fact, had you just addressed the way you're moving, you could have caused these problems to go away much, 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 much sooner. And uh, so... It's really confusing because it gets down to this. It gets down to, again, what I, what I was harping on a little while ago is that people are lazy. They just don't want to take responsibility for themselves. You look at, for example, the Ethiopian and the Kenyan runners, world-renowned athletes. They never wore shoes coming up. I, I know guys that never put a shoe on their foot till they were 14 years old. One of my friends, and, and I actually talk about it in my book, which, by the way, I'm, I'm rounding the clubhouse turn. I got about half this book done right now. <laughs> but I talk about it in the book. Uh, a friend of mine by the name of Gilbert Toulbounier, who was 800-meter specialist, a national champion, incidentally, for Burundi, Africa. And I've interviewed him a couple different occasions, but he spoke about the fact that he lived close to 9,000 feet elevation. And he ran to school every day, about six miles a day, six miles home, barefoot. Just try to imagine how much stronger your feet would be had you lived in a natural environment like he did, running on dirt trails barefoot his entire existence until he was 14 years old. This guy's bone structure is probably like titanium. The, the tendons and ligaments in his feet, in his Achilles, in his calves are just basically bulletproof because he developed them. This is why when people see me in my lab, commonly, I'm barefoot. 
I try to spend as much time as I possibly can throughout the course of the day barefoot. And I will actually do some foot massage on a firm little rolling device that I have sitting on my kitchen floor. Every time I pass it, I'll roll the fascia on my foot with this little device and try to keep in touch with my feet. And again, I might sound like a weirdo with my feet, but here I am 65. Incidentally, what a lot of people don't know too is I had some serious issues with my back when I was growing up. I haven't had a back problem in 10 years. And I'm older, heavier, and I'm running in a minimal shoe. I'm actually running in a, you know what I'm running in, I'm in a, in a very, very minimal, very, very lightweight, zero drop shoe. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any issues, the kind of issues that people are commonly com- complaining about. I don't, I don't experience those problems. I don't like to refer to it as, well, it is a study of one, but I don't like to bank my opinion solely on my personal experience because my personal experience is really experience of others because I deal with them all the time, more so than the time I spend with my own issues. And I see the cause and effect relationship with these adjustments we make. When I cause someone to get out of a big, bulky shoe, when I help someone to learn to run effectively off their forefoot as opposed to what they were doing, all these problems that they typically experience start to fall away. Have I confused everybody yet? (laughs) I mean, you've made sense to me, but I don't know about everybody else. Well, but so, you know, again, getting back to the theme here, What type of shoe should I buy? Can someone listen to what I just said and come away feeling like, I got it, I know what to do? Or not? Uh, I mean, I think they're going to know kind of what they should start looking for, something that has a wider toe box so you have more freedom for your toes. Um, And like you were saying, something that's more neutral with a zero drop. But you didn't say you need to go buy this shoe here and this shoe here. You're kind of guiding them to what they should be looking for. Right. Yeah. Well, and then I think the other thing too, and the important thing to, to take home, is that if your frustration is injury, if you have a, um, a frustration-based concern and that is leading you towards a shoe purchase, then you're making the wrong decision. Does that make any sense? Yes. I, I want people to understand that if they're having problems with the way they're running, it probably has to do with the way they're running, not with the shoe that they selected. Unless, of course, in some circumstances, the shoe is really confining their foot. Then the shoe they're wearing is a problem, and they need to address that. But to look in the shoe and look for stability control, motion control, or cushioning as a solution to their problem, they're barking up the wrong tree. That's the point I'm trying to make. Find a shoe that's comfortable. Do you know I was, I did a show with uh, Dr. Irene Davis, who heads up the Spalding Running Department for Harvard Medical. She's a leading authority in running mechanics in the country. And we discussed this at great length. And this is a woman that runs barefoot now. And she's no spring chicken either. But she uh, brought to light a study that, that she found. I think it was in Australia. In the study, what they did is they reviewed shoe selections uh, or the shoe selection process of people coming into running shoe shops in Australia. They did a study of around 2,000 purchases, something like that. I'm probably butchering this, but anyway, here was, here's where I was going with this. They did this research study and they, they reviewed like 2,000 purchases in, in a running shoe shop, running shoe shops. And they looked at the sales that were conducted where the salesperson recommended a particular shoe based on stability, motion control, and cushioning and what have you. And then they looked at the people that just went in and made a purchase based on the level of comfort they found in the shoe on their own accord and or the color that they liked. And it turned out that the people that were recommended a particular shoe based on the salesman's recommendations ran into more injuries by and large greater than the people that just 
selected a particular shoe color. Gotcha. Well, also, I mean, I, I'm so indecisive that even just thinking about buying new shoes right now is kind of stressing me out, but (laughs) I, I do go in there and I, at first look at the ones that I like the color and it, it hurts a little bit when you find the shoe that you know is going to be the better one for you, but they're just not the cutest. (laughs) That's a problem. It is. And incidentally, that's a problem with women commonly because they look great in high heels. I hate those things. Think about a high heel for a second. You know, you got like this pointy toe, you know, we call them cockroach killers. You could just like get the toe right into the corner of the wall. And you got a stiletto heel. Everything about that shoe is the worst thing you could possibly do to your foot. And I feel sorry for women that work in an environment where they need to wear this type of shoe for eight hours at a, at a time. It's just really, really bad for your feet. But uh, they look great. Got I tuck. mean, your feet, yeah. I may look good in heels. I do not look good walking in heels. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I, can I, look like a, I look like a newborn like deer, like a little baby deer. <laughs> so I'm going to do this for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a recommendation. Perfect. Having seen your foot, having seen you barefoot, I would recommend you pull up Topo Athletic. Okay, I've heard you talk about them before. And I would look for a zero drop shoe. Um, the road shoe is probably best because I know you're not running on trail just yet. But they have the road shoe, and I forget the name of it, but if you just look in the detail tab, it'll show you that it's zero drop. It's going to be very, very lightweight. It's going to cost you about 100 bucks. They probably got about four different colors you could choose from. So you got a little bit of levity in that respect. And then if you decide you want to get two pairs of shoes, you can find a trail shoe that uh, will follow the same format of the road shoe. And I have made recommendations to people in that regard. It's the shoe I wear. The company and I are not in business together, unfortunately, because I know I've sold a lot of shoes for them if they're listening. But... um, I like the shoe simply because it's doing what I need it to do. It's getting out of my way. It's not causing to try to influence my foot in any regard. It's got me in a pretty natural format, keeping my heel close to the ground. There's not much in the way of cushion beneath the shoe, just enough to protect my foot from the environment. And it's light. And that's all I expect from a shoe. I don't want it to be cushy. I don't want it to, to you know collapse when I, when I put pressure on it. I don't want it to influence my arch. I don't want it to influence my heel. I don't want I don't want it to do anything other than cover my foot and protect the bottom of my foot as best I can. And and I think that you'll do very well with that particular decision. Now, there I have by by the way, I have another uh, client. I'm going to name her. Uh, her name is Noel. Her full name is Noel Hersey Colbert. <laughs> and she asked me just the other day, what kind of shoes should I get? And I said, let me get back to you. And so, Noel, I want you to do the very same thing. I want you to research this uh, Topo Athletic. Even though you think you have a narrow foot, I think you'll do fine with that. It's going to feel a little weird at first because all of a sudden you're getting the freedom in the forefoot that you didn't have before. But at the end of the day, I think your feet will love you for it. And given that you're running so well these days, it's all going to come together. And then you're going to buy me some scotch later on. See, I was a little hesitant to look into those shoes because the pair that you have, I don't think are the uh, most attractive, but I went online and they actually do have some cute ones. So I am definitely going to look into those. It's like Elmer Fudd. I'm telling you, (laughs) the broad toe box is not very pretty to look at. Well, no, it's just, it's just the color. I don't know. It was just like the color and like the shoe that you showed me. I'm like, oh, I hope all of them don't look like that, but they actually had some cute ones. (laughs) Well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't want you running around with uncute feet. No, okay, I'm a girl. I like I really like what my shoes look like. <laughs> I totally understand. Well, I hope we uh we've we've kind of kicked this can down the road pretty long. Did you think we nailed it? You think we got people to understand what we want? I mean, I hope so. If not, I'm sure they'll just reach out and ask some questions and we can answer those later. And we'll just have to do another show. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so by the way, but while we're sitting here talking about running mechanics, I've got some clinics coming. I've got a clinic coming up March 10th and 11th. We still have room here in Camarillo. I have a clinic in Chicago. It's coming up in May. And i got a clinic in Killington, Vermont, 
in July. Any three of those is absolutely worth the trip. If you've got questions about your feet, your shoes, and all that, that can be addressed at the clinic. Not to mention all the other stuff that we're going to do for you. And the information to find out about that can be found a couple places, by the way. I rarely talk about this site, but the, my principal site is diazhumanperformance.com. D-I-A-Z, humanperformance.com. And naturalrunningcoach.net uh, also has registration for those, uh, those events as well. Zoe, thank you so much. And I got to get going. I got calls to make. I got clients waiting for me. No, well, thank you. And I'm about to go uh, do some shoe shopping. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.